Well, good morning. I'm glad you're with us this morning. Sometimes uh, the word counseling kind of freaks us out. And we think, ah, oh, that sounds too intimidating. So don't be freaked out by the word counseling. Simply think this. Think counseling is at the chapel. Know what the scripture says, how it connects to life. That's all we're seeking to do. Know what the scripture says and connecting it to life. We genuinely believe in what Tony and Christian just talked about there, the sufficiency of the scripture to speak to life's challenges and life's problems. So I hope that you will give serious prayerful consideration to sharing in that training in January of understanding the scriptures and connecting it to the realities of life. So last week, we began a series called Anticipation. It's leading up to Christmas. It's simply a a word that you and I can connect to other than Advent, because Advent seems formal, and we're not sure really what what is Advent, and what's an Advent calendar. It's simply a process, a commitment to saying we're going to anticipate the coming of Christ by preparing our hearts and minds for focusing on the person of Christmas, Jesus Because what we all acknowledge is we love the trimmings that come with Christmas. Nothing wrong with the trimmings. Unless the trimmings take over our attention and our love from the person, Jesus. So anticipation is simply these weeks leading up to Christmas that says, enjoy the gifts, enjoy the parties, enjoy the cookies. Don't miss Jesus in the process. And so uh, last week... I neglected to share with you an anticipation devotional that I put together simply some scripture and one paragraph of thought for each day. It started last week, but if you didn't get one, you can get one out at the Connect Gazebo after the service today. Very simple. Uh, Like I said, I am no scholar by any means. After about one paragraph, I'm done with any thoughts that I might have on a particular subject. But I I must admit, this week, I mean, I wrote it, and this week I was like, oh, that was actually pretty good. I enjoyed that. (laughs) And and by good, I mean, I, I needed that reminder. It's not profoundly insightful. It's simple reminders on a daily basis of the person of Jesus. So I encourage you to pick one up out in the courtyard. Obviously, they're free. They're just intended to help you anticipate Jesus, the person of Christmas. So last week, as we began this series, we said Jesus embodies the hope of promise. In other words, in the birth of Jesus, we are reminded that we each, as Christ followers, have the hope of promise kept. All the promises surrounding the birth of Jesus actually were fulfilled. God did exactly what he said, and we can live with confidence that all the promises that he has made to us as his followers are as what? As good or as sure as Christmas. Because when hope grows dim, and it always grows dim for all of us at some point, I want us to remember, the promises of God are as sure as Christmas and as good as pie. They are, God is a promise keeper, not a promise breaker. So if God has said he will do it, he will do it. And when we think, ah, but in my situation, because we tend to say, think things like this. Yes, I know God keeps his promises, next word, but... And then we think of the uniqueness of our situation. And so I want you to remember, if you're tempted to think, yeah, but, remember this, a virgin conceived. That was our our whole point last week. We can believe in the promises of God because if a virgin can conceive in Nazareth and give birth then in Bethlehem, then all the promises of God we can absolutely count on. Don't doubt, believe. This morning, we want to look towards Jesus not only as the hope of promise, but Jesus 
as mystery. And that might seem an unusual expression, but here's what we're going to look at this morning. We're going to look at the strange in Jesus's birth. And there is some definite strange in the birth of Jesus. And it ought to, don't miss this now, it ought to prepare us for the mystery in following him. Don't remember last week we said we have this idea of we have this practice of taking out the Christmas stuff, celebrating for a month or so, and then putting it back away. And sometimes we take the Christmas truth out for a month and then we put them back away. And I don't want us to pack them back up in the garage in the attic. I want us to say there are truths that we learn through the birth of Christ that surpass seasons. They are timeless. And one of them is mystery. There's a mystery in his birth that ought to prepare us for the mystery of following him. Four we're going to specifically look at this morning. First, it was a strange family, a mysterious choice that God made in choosing Jesus' family. Specifically, I'm referring to his parents, Joseph and Mary. Strange because what is revealed about them when eight days after his birth, they take him from Bethlehem, where he was born, to Jerusalem. And they go to the Jerusalem, to Jerusalem because that's where the temple is, and they are offering a sacrifice to the Lord in recognition for their firstborn son. They're offering, according to Leviticus in Luke chapter 2, was to offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So they went and in worship of God, because of their firstborn son, what did they offer? Birds. Birds. Pigeons or turtle doves. They offered birds. And I consider that, and I think you would too, strange because this is where Leviticus 12 comes in. Leviticus 12 says about the offering for the son, if she cannot afford a lamb, in other words, the typical sacrifice is a lamb, but if she cannot afford a lamb, then she shall take two turtle doves or two young pigeons. So we learn from Luke chapter 2 that the strange in the family that God chooses for Jesus to be born into is that they are poor. Now, you probably already knew that, but you understand maybe, or do you appreciate, God had choices. And when people in our present day give up their children for adoption, by example, and they have choices, they usually choose those who have financial means versus those who don't have financial means. We tend to think, I want my son, I want my daughter to have the blessing that wealth would bring. Did God have choices? Yes, he, he caused a virgin to conceive, so pretty much the whole world was wide open to him. <laughs> there would have been plenty of opportunity for God to choose a family that could say, hey, we have a lamb, we have multiple lambs, we have herds of them. No, we, we got two birds that we can scrape together. You you understand that the uniqueness of God, uh, the uniqueness of the birth of Jesus is that God, when he could have chosen anyone, chose a poor family. That's the strange in the birth of Jesus. Now connect that. Has God ever made a choice in your life that you went, hmm, that's a head-scratcher. Has he? Sure he has. There's been plenty of times in your life that you went, really, God? You had choices. You had options. And this is, this is what you chose? The strange family he chose is a reminder that in following him, I am often blind to the wisdom of God's choosing. I'm often, I often don't see it. We wouldn't have chosen. 
what God chose for the parents of Jesus. And there's plenty of times we would say, we wouldn't have chosen the choices God made for you. Maybe for your family. Maybe you've thought, God, why'd you give me this family? Or why'd you make me this way? Why'd you give me these gifts and not these gifts? Why'd you cause me to be born here and not here? Did he have choices? Could have God done whatever he wanted? Yes. See, very important that you understand the words I've chosen. I'm often blind to the wisdom in God's choosing because God sometimes makes foolish decisions. No. Because I'm blind doesn't mean it's, that, it's not there. It means I can't see it. See, my point is this. He is wise. He is wise. I just can't see it at times. So let me give you an analogy. This really made sense to me this week. Jackie and I are watching this program on Netflix. It's a long-running series that we're trying to catch up on. And you know, if you watch it on Netflix, you can watch it in 40 minutes instead of an hour, which means you think you can do two per night and you can catch up. <laughs> Not that you've ever done that. <laughs> so we're, we're watching it and we reach in this series, this really intense moment, and we think, no, this can't happen. And we both look at one another and think and say, she can't die. She's the, she's the main character. See, you don't even know what I'm talking about, but you know that rule, right? <laughs> the, the rule, unless it's maybe season finale, and we're like, is this the finale? What's going on here? She can't die. It's in the rules. And you know what we're doing at that moment? We are robbing the creators of that series of all the drama they're creating because we know the rules. <laughs> you can't make them die. Something's going to happen. Can't trick me. You had me, but then I realized, oh, we're mid-season. <laughs> Why can't we live life the way we watch TV? Now, here's what I mean. Is there, a, is there a rule, if you will, a law by which I genuinely believe life lives? And that is that, that he is wise. And so I often get caught mid-series in life going, God, you can't do that. God, that's not good. That's a terrible decision. That's a bad choice. And I need to go, oh, time out. I know the law. I know the, I know the truth. His, it is wise. I just can't see it. That's, that's a truth by which would take the drama out of life. Because you and I live with some drama. Oh, no. And we were, whoa, no, no, time out. God's wise. I just can't see it. We, we tend to get caught in the, in the moment, and we interpret when God chooses something that we don't really like or think is best, we think, well, what's wrong here? It's, it's like uh, it, my neighbor cracks me up. We're standing in our backyard. His dock is perfect shape. Mine's half gone. And he goes, wow, I must be doing something right. Yeah. <laughs> I said, really? What are you saying about me? Yeah, I don't know about you. I am, but clearly, <laughs> I am doing something right. Because, you know, that's the way. When God chooses good things for us, we believe it's because we, we did good. And if bad things happen, it's because, well, you know, God knew. Really? Really? You live with that drama? Sometimes we do. Sometimes we forget the truth that ought to cause us to go, hey, Pauls, Pauls, I, I know where we are in life. God is wise. He's not gone stupid on me. I just don't see it yet. But his choice is always good. And whatever he does, he's perfectly wise, always good. Second strange. It's a strange time for a trip. It was a strange time for a trip. The ladies in this morning will appreciate this far more than the men. The strange trip, of course, is the trip after Mary conceives before she gives birth. 
back in uh, 2006, Jackie and I went to Israel, and so uh, we got a sense of when we were there in terms of, I did anyway, proximity and distance. She conceived where? In Nazareth, and she gave birth down here in Bethlehem, 65 miles from Nazareth to Jerusalem. Bethlehem's just a little bit south of that, so 70 miles from Nazareth to Bethlehem. That's the trip that she makes, except if you've ever, how many of you ever been to Israel? A few of you? I'll tell you, when I went, I was like totally surprised. I kept saying to Jackie, wow, there's just rocks everywhere. I was really just overwhelmed because come from Florida where you have to like buy a rock. <laughs> Thinking, man, there's a business that has to be here. So there's just rocks everywhere. They make everything out of rock. And how much the hill country between here, southern Israel and northern Israel, not coastal, not here in the Jordan Plain, but this, this hill country here, we took a bus and it'll flat wear you out. To think of a pregnant lady making the 90-mile trip through the hill country and going up to Jerusalem, even though they're going south, what's that mean? Uh, yeah, it's an elevation issue. It's not up isn't always north. Up is up, like in elevation. There, there's an elevation, so they're climbing as they're going through the hill country. And you go, well, at least Mary had her donkey. Except you can't find that animal in the text. Ever notice that? Or maybe you haven't. Actually read the story, the historical account, and there is no animal. Now, am I saying she didn't? I don't know. Maybe she did. I'm saying the Bible doesn't say that she had one, and I'm thinking if all she had was birds for an offering, they just might not have had money to buy an animal, and she was walking 90 miles. Ladies, are you with me? Strange time for a trip. At this moment, we're going to Bethlehem. What are you saying? No. You know. You go pregnant Zilla on No way. Or at best, oh God, you gotta make it. You gotta change it. You're pleading with God. This is a terrible time. Don't you understand? There's this and this and this, and you lay out all the things that the Lord has missed and why he should change his timetable. It's a strange time for a trip. You ever been uncomfortable with God's timing in your life? This is a terrible time for another baby. This is a terrible time to lose my job. This is a terrible time to get sick. This is a terrible time. See, God's timing often seems poor. So when you think that, and all of us do, I'm not here saying to you, stop thinking that. We often think, man, the timing's poor. But don't take the Christmas story and pack it in a box and put it back in the attic. Think the next time you're in a watching again. You're watching a TV show. And they solve the mystery and you think, well, uh, oh, there's a twist. There's still 17 minutes left. <laughs> Haven't you done that? Haven't you thought, oh, I know something else has got to happen. Why do you know? Because there's minutes left or you're only... You know, 50 minutes into the movie, and they don't make 50-minute movies, so something else is going to happen. You interpreted the drama that was going on based on your understanding of the length of a movie or the length of a program. It's what you did. Sometimes it's a part one, but they don't tell you. <laughs> see, my point is, we often, when we see that, we we can rest in the drama that's attempting to be created because we understand something about timing of television and movies. Why can't we apply that to life? Why can't we go, man, this seems like a really bad time. But God's timing's always perfect. 
Do you believe that? Uh, hey, I, I've been faced with that. My neighbor, whose dock didn't get damaged, he goes, wow, man, that was like past a hundred-year flood, and you've been here for three months. Oh, really? I hadn't thought about that. And then he goes, do you know how much money you'd have saved if you would have just bought three months later? Yes. <laughs> Come on! <laughs> Seems poor. But what have, I, what have I often said? Lord, trust your timing. Wouldn't have picked it. It's a bad time. Trust your timing. There's something... You understand, we, it's so funny, it's just made so much sense to me, that we watch TV and we watch movies understanding kind of the rules that take some of the edge off. But we have far more powerful truths that undergird lives that we don't believe in the moment we need to believe, and so we live on edge and we can't rest. We're all churning and bound up about what's going on. And simply, instead of simply saying, yeah, it's in the way, the timing I would have picked, but I believe his timing is perfect. See, when his choices don't make sense, when his timing doesn't make sense, Here's what I believe. All the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. The depth and the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. In other words, you're never going to completely get your hands around it. You could spend the rest of your life trying to understand, to fathom the riches, the depths of his wisdom and his knowledge, and you won't do it. Which is just kind of unusual about how we approach life. Sometimes we don't understand. Other times we think, oh, no, no, I understand. God did this because this. And we've, we found one little thing, and we go, oh, yeah, this is what God was doing. Folks, that's absolute silliness. Do I really think I can wrap my arms around all that God is doing in the choices he makes and the timing he is determined? No. I might get a glimpse. But generally, we say those sort of things when we say, oh, see how the, this worked out well for me. So God must have been doing this. Now, his wisdom, his knowledge, dig for it for the rest of your life. You're never going to get all of it figured out. I, I genuinely believe that you and I can live in the contentment of saying, Lord, I don't know, I don't understand, I trust you. Trust you. This is why we call it a, a walk of faith, because we can't see it, and it often doesn't make sense. And we simply go, not my ways, your ways. Your ways and your thoughts are higher than my thoughts. I trust you. Third strange. It was a strange place to be born. Strange family to choose. Strange time for a trip. Strange place to be born. And by that, I don't mean Bethlehem, Bethlehem being the small place that it was. I mean specifically in where Jesus was born, in contrast to where most movies, songs, and postcards put him at his birth. So for our 20 year anniversary, well, I was talking to a pastor from Canada like 80 or 90 years old, and he said, hey, uh, our grandkids are in your church, and they're going to Israel, and so uh, I'd like to baptize them in the Jordan River. And I was like, yeah, that sounds awesome. But let me ask you a question. What, what are you, you, you're going to Israel? Yeah, I, I go every year. I was like, seriously? 
This was 2006. We tried to plan a trip in 2001. They shut it down because of safe travel advisory. You go every year? Oh, yeah, I go every year. Really? I literally hung up with him, called Jackie and said, hey, baby, I know where we're going to go for our 20th anniversary. And she was like, yeah, where? Israel. <laughs> okay. She wasn't so sure at first because it was, you know, half... Three months before we went on our trip, they, Hezbollah started launching the missiles into northern Israel. We were, uh, had some good counsel, I thought, in that. So we, we went for our 20-year anniversary. And one of the things that I really appreciated about being there was a sense of proximity and a better sense of what life would have been like. Maybe if you've been there, you've been up in the Nazareth region where they have this mock little village. Any of you recognize this little village from your t time there? This is in northern Israel, just a little mock village. And I say mock because they didn't, they excavated some of it, but then they rebuilt more. Like there was no handrails for the pregnant <laughs> Mary, for the clumsy tourist. But you notice again, all the rock, and then they build it up. If you zoom in, this would have been then a, a sample of an individual residence. Inside, there's your modern kitchen, oven, stovetop, first mixer, grinder, food processor. There's the, there's the that's one side of the room. On the other side of that very same room, then there's these two look-throughs into another section and then a ladder. And that ladder then goes into an upper room. Now, we traditionally have been seen in movies and look at postcards. Mary and Joseph came to Bethlehem and they found there was no room in the inn and we think holiday in, and there was the mean innkeeper at the front desk who said there is no room. And so, by the way, if you look for the mean innkeeper in the text, he's right there beside the donkey that Mary rode on, which in other words, he's not there. And then they go out into the starry night under the skies and have a baby. Probably not. Because this, where this ladder leads to, is called the Cataluma, the guest room in a residence. And when the Gospels say there was no room in the inn, the word is there is no room in the Cataluma, the guest room in a residence, which all should begin to make sense in our minds when we understand why did they go back to Bethlehem? The census, in other words, you had to go back to your, your family's origins, back to where family... So when you go home, you go home and you stay with... Yeah, unless you don't like them, then you look for the Holiday Inn. But Jewish community, family, high value. Joseph goes with Mary back to Bethlehem. They go to relatives, and there is no room in the Cataluma, the, the guest room. Plus, I mean, really, I don't think Jackie at nine months has gone up and down the ladder either. She's like, okay, let's get this baby out. But she's probably not using the ladder. So where are Joseph and Mary? Remember the, the kitchen's right on this side of this same little room. Looking through there, so Jackie's back in the kitchen. She's looking through. This is another covered area where during wintertime, animals would be kept inside, protected from the temperatures. When Joseph and Mary, and now again, I hate to blow this up for you if this is ruining your Christmas. <laughs> Joseph and uh, Christmas, Jesus was probably not born in December. Why? Well, if you go to Bethlehem in the end of December, super, super cold, meaning the flocks are not out in the fields. Where are they? They're in here. But in the 
biblical account, what we do know is the shepherds are out in the fields. Quite frankly, our best historical guess, not when we celebrate it, and there's reasons why we celebrate at the end of December what I won't get, that I won't get into, but if you're looking for a historical best guess, it's probably the end of September. So if you back it up, Jesus was a Christmas baby, but just not the way you think of Jesus being a Christmas baby. Born the end of September, Feast of Tabernacles. End of September, beginning of October, which is why, quite frankly, John probably writes, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. You know what the word there is? Tabernacled among us. He was probably born during the Feast of Tabernacles, end of September, when the sheep would have been out in the fields. So what does the Scripture teach us for sure about where Jesus was when he was born? Lying in a, in a manger, a food trough, which would be here for when the animals would be staying there to be protected from the environment. You with me? So, I'm not trying to, again, make you burn all your nativity scenes. <laughs> Just understand, this isn't the way it happened. <laughs> but why, how did it? It, it happened in, in a pretty unique, probably very busy, crowded, not really where you want to have your baby, where the animals would have been kept, but not out under the stars as part of a residence. Simply the reminder that even in Christmas, even in the birth of the Son of God, circumstances are rarely ideal. And what I'm challenged with is this. Why do I think when the Son of God was not born into ideal circumstances, why do I really think if I follow Jesus, then all my life should be the ideal? Because that's sometimes how we think. You with me? We can tend to think, God, why aren't you giving me the ideal? Why isn't life the way I planned it? And we simply need to, again, not pack up our Christmas nativities and put them up in the garage for the year. They need to stay outside in our thinking and recognizing the birth of Jesus was not under ideal circumstances. Why would I think following Jesus would always create ideal circumstances? It sounds weird, but Christmas ought to teach us to expect what? Circumstances that aren't ideal. That's real. I know that sounds crazy, but it, it ought to, by, its, by the historical fact, we ought to recognize following Jesus is not about the secret code to ideal life. So let me ask you, if, if you were given the pen that God holds in his hands, and he gave it to you and said, write your circumstances as you would want them, would you change anything? And you don't have to feel guilty if you'd say, yeah, I'd change some stuff. I think you probably would. You'd change some stuff. You, you might look back and go, man, okay, new family. New job, new health, new, more finances. You follow me? There's, there's definitely the reality that none of us really live the ideal. So when life deals you, and when you say life, I'm not saying like some third impersonal party. When God deals you less than the ideal, how do you respond? Ugh. 
what I do wrong. Or, listen to Paul, I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am in. That's quite a statement, isn't it? I mean, I don't know if you've ever felt the, the weight of that. I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. In other words, contentment is something that has to be learned. Some people think, well, you know, they're just more content. No, 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 no. No one is naturally content. Everybody, wants, everybody naturally wants something that they don't have. It's just the way you're built. You're going, whew, I can't wait till it gets some cooler weather. I am freezing. Ah, I just live in Florida. You know, it's when it's hot, it's not cold enough. When it's cold, it's not warm enough. You're just not content. Unless you learn. Paul's testimony, I know how to get along with humble means, also know how to live in prosperity. Can you live in both of those with contentment? He goes, in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. What word did he use again? Learned. Contentment doesn't just happen. Contentment is learned, and it's learned by understanding a secret, which isn't much of a secret because he tells us the secret. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That's the secret that he tells us. This, this is the secret, if you will, of learning contentment. Whatever my circumstances, I trust what? His sufficiency in them. The secret to contentment, recognizing that Christmas ought to tell me, hey, circumstances are rarely ideal, so I learn contentment in discovering the sufficiency of Christ, that I can do all that he's called me to in prosperity, in adversity, in a great family, in a horrible family, with a kind boss, with an ugly boss, with a little bit of money, with a bunch of money, whatever my circumstances, I can do what he's called me because of his sufficiency. See, I hate the fact that people say, well, I, you know, I won because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's almost the exact opposite of what the verse is actually saying. How about, I lost, but I can do so with grace and joy because I've learned the sufficiency of Christ in winning and in losing, in prosperity and in lack. In any circumstance, I can trust his sufficiency. I wonder, are you asking yourself right now, have I learned that? Have I learned to be content? Have I learned to apply and believe in the sufficiency of Christ? If you're not sure, then just ask yourself right now, are you content today? Mm. I will be just once this one little thing happens. <laughs> That's what Christmas teaches us. Fourth strange. It was a strange crowd of visitors. We need to roll here. Strange crowd of visitors. Specifically, I'm speaking of the shepherds who show up according to Luke chapter 2. So they came, this is the shepherds, in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he's right there laying in the manger. Is that strange? <laughs> Let me give you a sense of strange. If you've ever had a baby, imagine you just had the baby. The baby's laying right there in that cart tray that they put it in, they roll around the hospital. You're in the room, the cart is there with the baby on top, and all of a sudden, a bunch of roadside crew workers, hard hats and all, they all file into your room with your baby. 
What you all doing here? An angel told us to come. Security. I mean, this is a strange situation, is it not? A bunch of strangers show up unannounced into this really pretty personal, private moment. So let me ask you, have you ever had strange people invade your life? Really? Have you ever had strange people invade your life, like marry into your family? <laughs> or, or, or move in across the street, that wacky neighbor? Or work in your office, and you go, Lord, why them? Tell me again, why were the shepherds there? Because in a sense, God had sent them, correct? Could that be true for the wacky people in your life? More than could be. Absolutely true that all who cross my path are part of God's sovereign work and will. It was true for the shepherds at the birth of Jesus, and it's true for all who cross our path. So let me quickly summarize. You don't need to write this down, but, but here is, in my understanding of the historical account of the birth of Jesus and the mystery surrounded, that Christmas should teach me to expect that God is wise, always, I just can't always see it. That God's timing's perfect, even when I don't understand it. That Christ is sufficient for me, regardless of the circumstance. And life is full of divine appointments. This is the truth wrapped into the story that we've memorialized and then put in our attic, but we forget if this truth would undergird every moment of our lives, we could rob it of all the unnecessary drama and fretting and churning and pounding if we simply said, I engage life believing this. Again, you don't have to write it down. First hour guy took out his phone, took a picture of the screen. <laughs> you believe God's wise? Always. His timing's perfect? Always. His sufficiency is always there. That wacky people are sent by God in your life? It's part of his will and work. One of the strange things we celebrate as a body is we pass a tray around and we take a little piece of bread and we have a cup, like the smallest cup you've ever seen, with juice in it. It's weird if you're an outsider looking at what we do, called communion. But they are symbols of a profound truth embodied in the Jesus we follow. So I want to invite the men to come, and I'm going to ask them to pass these elements. And I want to invite you, if you are a follower of Jesus, you can put stuff away if that will help you, and I want you to think very carefully about something. Thanks. The bread, the bread represents the body of Christ, the cup, the blood of Christ, both of which represent what Christ did on the cross for you and I, and that believing in him, we would be forgiven. But you know what the Bible says the world thinks about these things? Foolishness. The cross, the Bible says, is foolishness to those who are perishing but salvation to those who believe. You, no one is saved by taking these elements. They are symbols to represent the person who saves us. And his salvation 
is a mystery. He is the one who really is wise in your life, whose timing is perfect, whose grace is sufficient, and who is ordaining those who cross your path. As the elements are being passed, I want us to declare with Dallas the truth of our confidence in the sovereign work of God in every aspect of our life. of your seat speak to the Lord and tell him first God I believe you are wise I trust you would you tell him there in the quietness of your seat God I believe your timing is perfect I don't see it I trust you would you tell him God, I believe you are sufficient for my present circumstances. Thank you. And would you tell him, thank you, God, for all the people that cross my path. Thank you, Lord, that you have demonstrated your love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Thank you that in the sending and the giving of your Son, you have demonstrated that you will not withhold any good gift from us. So with gratitude for your wisdom and your goodness and trust in your faithfulness. We take with thanksgiving. Would you take together? Thank you, Lord, for your great love, for your faithfulness to us. 
that's a phenomenal truth, isn't it? I mean, as we declared that in song, I was reminded, there is genuine rest in God. Not sleepiness, rest. Regardless of the circumstance, there is rest in his wisdom, his goodness, his perfection, and his love for us. He loves you and is working for his glory and for your good. Would you live in the sufficiency of Christ? God bless.